You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 70. Today, I'm joined by Laurie Eve Deshar, and we're going to be discussing Chinese medicine as consciousness medicine. Welcome to the show today, Laurie. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much, Claire. It's wonderful to be here. I'm enjoying talking transglobally with you about Chinese medicine as consciousness medicine. I love that. Yeah. And, you know, you've been on my list of people to have on the show for such a long time, and it's it's so nice to be able to connect with you. And um, we were having a discussion before we started about what were the topics that we're going to be covering today. And there's just such a richness of thought and intention that seems to be coming from this particular topic that we've chosen today, this idea of Chinese medicine as consciousness medicine. And it seems like there's aspects of this that have been bubbling away and maturing and developing within you for quite a while. For many, many years, actually, as I mentioned earlier, it was on my mind and in my heart before I even started writing Five Spirits, which I started writing Five Spirits 25 years ago. It took me 10 years to write. So it was actually came out into the world about 15, 16 years ago. But that book, which is Five Spirits, really about the ancient Taoist view of what we could say the psyche, the soul, but also, I always say, about the chakra system from a Taoist perspective, which really is how are we conscious? In what ways, what different levels of awareness live within us? And that was really the exploration that began when I began writing that first book and trying to understand from this modern perspective what these ancient sages had actually come to understand about human awareness, about human consciousness. And it's really been an ongoing passion and journey ever since. I would say, you know, while I, like every acupuncturist, will work on headache or neck pain or a shoulder injury, always for me, the passion comes from going underneath the symptom and understanding where a person's perhaps not seeing something about their life that gets tangled up in that symptom. And in a way, I would say, I mean, while I think many of us are trained to think about that, for me, it became the central piece. What is the psychological, the psycho-emotional, the spiritual invitation of our suffering, our illness, our diseases? And how does that become a doorway to what I would say is an expansion of our consciousness? And our bodies are so intentional and our symptoms are so deliberate. It, you know, why this symptom and why now? They're such great questions to ask. And why why in this particular part of the body and not somewhere else? And we have such a great framework in Chinese medicine to be able to bring context 
to these questions. Exactly. And, you know, as you say that, what I think for me, the symptom then becomes a kind of um, a riddle, you know, like a sphinx riddle, like it's really a mysterious question. And that that doesn't mean that there's a simple answer. I mean, I'll share um, something that just happened to me because it's like I do this all the time for other people. And most of the time I'm just chugging along. I'm doing fine and I'm out there helping everyone else. And I'm really excited and all that. And then um, earlier this summer, I started doing really vigorous biking. And I was loving it. I was loving it. And then I hit a pothole and tumbled off my bike. And and it, and even though I tumbled on my left side, I started getting this pain on my right, which I'd never had before. And um, being me, of course, I'm not going to go to an acupuncturist or anyone else. Like, I forget that I can actually get help. So I'm just like, it's going to get better. I slap a patch on it. It doesn't get better. It's still going. I slap another patch on it. I'm like doing all this stuff. And finally, finally, like weeks later, I'm kind of moping around. And my husband, Benjamin, says, you know, what's going on? And I'm like, well, I've actually had this pain for the past six weeks. And he's like, why didn't you say anything about this? And he's an incredible body worker. And finally said, you know, I think I might need you to, to work on me. He does a process some people may know it called zero balancing, among many other magical things he does. But Zero balancing is a body kind of a adjustment process that goes all the way to the bone level. It goes really deep to the bone level. So I said, I, I asked for it. I said, I need this, which is very like a breakthrough in my consciousness. And so he gave me this session and right away, like as soon as it was over, I was like, oh my gosh, this pain is gone. And it's been gone last week and I'm still doing my yoga and my other healing work. But the, the thing that came to me was my body was sort of inviting me, was not just inviting, was kind of like pushing up the edge of my awareness to say, it's time for you to invite support, to back down from your sort of you know, warrior, Aries, I'm out there, I can do it myself, to allowing support and not pushing so hard on your own. And again, it's not that that was what caused the symptom, but it was tangled up with it. And through being able and having a partner or a practitioner who actually works at that level, we can create not just like, oh, now I'm getting back to my old self again and can ride my bike, hard again, but I'm really having to look at a shift at the level of my soul, at the level of old patterns that are ready to change. So that's a very personal story, but it's the kind of thing I do for other people all the time. And then only this week suddenly was like, right. (laughs) (laughs) It applies to us too as practitioners, yeah. And of course it does. And sometimes we can just make the most reluctant, hesitant patients. 
It's, um, you know, a few episodes ago, I had this very discussion with Randine Lewis and we were talking oh, wow, about. Oh, you talking to Randine. How fun. Yeah. Ah, love Randine. She's great. Yeah. And, um, y- you know, we had a whole episode on what do we do when we as practitioners get sick? You know, we have all of these ideas, these fantasies that somehow because we have these amazing tools that we are somehow impervious to illness and that we're just these perfect specimens of human beings who never get sick and we live forever and and it's just such a lie and we, and i think for you know in some ways as practitioners it takes us even more courage at times to admit to when we're unwell and to seek help from others yeah and to really see the place what the impasse place, the invitation of, as you say, the bodies, the body in a way knows more than I do, which is a shift in consciousness to begin, you know, it's a it's not how Western science and medicine approaches. And, you know, in, in the Western perspective at this point, it's like, well, that machine over there knows more about you than you know. I'm not, I'm generalizing. Of course, not all doctors think that way, but the general um, paradigm is that the machine is going to tell you more about your body than you could know. Now, granted, it may tell me something different, but to forget that there's a deep intrinsic intelligence, and I would even go so far as to say a divine intelligence that is innate to our bodies, that, and again, when we say Chinese medicine is a consciousness medicine, this is one of the beautiful gifts that we can offer our patients through this medicine. Like the first time, you know, that you insert a needle in a point and a person feels chi streaming through them, like that there's there's a life force that moves through me. That's a consciousness shift. And to begin to make these kinds of shifts a foreground part of our practice, that is really what my writing is about. My teaching is about. It's the, it's the sort of defining characteristic of what I call alchemical healing or alchemical acupuncture, the work that I've developed and given a name to and and have for the past 20 years been developing skills to teach it, to transmit tools, attitudes, concepts that enhance our capacity to do this, which also, of course, includes the self-cultivation. That's so much a, a, a given, a foundational given in our medicine is that in order to do this, we have to be working on our consciousness. Absolutely. And, you know, the beautiful question that is in the classics and in the, the, the most fundamental tenets of our medicine is that ultimately the practitioner becomes the medicine. We are one with the medicine. <laughs> I love that. And it, and it makes perfect sense. It, it's so much more possible for a practitioner to to guide and to facilitate this process with a patient, with another person, if they have some kind of understanding of what the journey is like. You know, we don't do it for them, but we can 
walk alongside them as they go through this process of self-cultivation, self-exploration. Yes. Which sounds lovely. And we, we have all of these beautiful phrases, all these beautiful ideas and these, you know, so poetic ways of describing it, but it's not always beautiful and happy and and joyful. Sometimes it can be quite challenging. Yes. And I would actually segue from there to um, one of the other reasons I call, and I have stayed with the idea of an alchemical approach, is that the alchemists, the main idea, this idea of transforming lead to gold, which has been very misunderstood, but fundamentally what it means is taking those difficult, stuck issues, the lead that feels opaque, intractable, heavy, all I want is to throw it away and actually hold that as a place of opportunity, of possibility that in, in, deep in that opaque, lead in holding pattern, there's tremendous vitality and energy and ultimately illumination, gold. That's what they were really looking at um, throughout the thousands of years of that this philosophy, this worldview was dominant actually since early times in Egypt and, and in Vedic India and in the ancient Taoist practices in Europe, medieval Europe. These were all pre-modern science, but it was a very complex and elegant way of looking at change processes. This is such big work. <laughs> it must take such enormous effort and energy and presence and heart on your behalf to, to work with practitioners, to support them developing in you know this aspect of their practice. You're, um, you run year-long mentorship programs and you know, they just must be such amazing containers of transformation for practitioners. I, I imagine there's all kinds of experiences are happening. They are. I mean, we've been doing them. I, I started, and it's interesting that you say this because I was on faculty at an acupuncture college in Manhattan, in New York, on a very busy avenue on 14th Street in Manhattan, which is like, big, busy downtown, this college. And people came from all over the world, actually. There were students there. And um, it was a mostly, it was mostly acupuncture and physical medicine at that college, you know, trigger point work, releasing muscle spasms, some um, Japanese style, but very physical. And I was brought in to teach kind of the adjunct pieces about the five elements, constitution, Taoist psychology, trauma work, how to self-care. And, you know, my classes were so bulging full. People were so hungry for this. And one of the most amazingly poignant moments was when I was teaching about Taoist mythology, some of the stories about the goddesses and the point names and why we call Bladder 60 Kunlun Mountain because it's the home of the dark goddess, Yi Wang Mu. And 
And there were Chinese speaking native Chinese people who were in that class. And I felt like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm here. I am this Westerner talking about this culture and what are they going to think? And many of them, so many of them would come up to me and say, thank you so much for speaking about the medicine this way, like giving us these concepts and roots. And they said, you know, these were stories our grandmothers told us about healing, but we had to keep it very secret and it was dangerous to talk about it and very hush-hush. So to be hearing about it in a school was amazing, shocking. And that was a great, wonderful gift for me. But then these students started asking for more outside of the curriculum. And that's how the mentorships and the trainings began just because people were hungry for this material. And um, over the years, that has grown. Um, We have, I have students who I've worked with for 10 years now. We do advanced trainings, retreats, and um, people do individual supervision with patients with me. And then uh, three years ago, Benjamin, my husband, and I started a platform, an online learning and healing community that's called a new possibility that is open both to practitioners, but also to anyone who wants to really go deep into their own healing process, wants to explore the art of transformation, which is alchemy. And um, we have a book out called The Alchemy of Inner Work, which is out there and very accessible with many, many tools that practitioners can use, but also anyone who's willing to, who's willing and called to transform how they are feeling and how they are relating to their own lives. And by transform, I mean, not just get back to an old way or not just get rid of a symptom, but actually transform that place of suffering and pain into a place that is filled with meaning and ultimately purpose in our lives. Because I feel for me, that's the real healing. I'm just lost for words. This, you know, this, this idea of consciousness as medicine, there's so many ways in which we can think about this and that we can bring these ideas and concepts into clinic. And there may be some people who are listening to this episode thinking, oh, I don't know, I haven't really kind of gone there. You know, I just I just work on musculoskeletal problems or, you know, I just work with, um, you know, I have, I have my way of, of, of doing this and I just refer people out to a counsellor, yeah. a psychologist. Yeah. If there's, if there's anything like this that comes up. Yeah. What is... Um, do you have anything to offer for these people? Well, I love that you said that, Claire, because honestly, what happened for me about 10 years into my practice, and I am a five-element practitioner. I trained with J.R. Worsley, so I was already somewhat geared to the psycho-emotional level of the elements and their movement. But I was finding 
I kept referring some of my most interesting patients out. You know, people would get better, like their chi would move or the symptom might go away. You know, for example, um, a, a person would come in with elbow pain. And I actually talk about this case in Five Spirits. And that elbow pain, ultimately, as we worked with it, opened up to be a pain that was, um, she had lost a child. She had lost through a miscarriage. And every time that she bent her arm, say, to pick up a cup of coffee in that move where you wrap your arm around your child, your baby, she was experiencing very excruciating pain. So I went to those nice large intestine elbow points, which did alleviate the pain, but in the process began to look at, well, what is this large intestine asking of her? Why is it along the large intestine meridian? What is it that she needs to let go of release in that arm? And then she gradually became able to um, feel into her, her wanting a child even after this loss and through the work, it's a beautiful story. She, she went to China and adopted a beautiful girl, Jen Lu, who's, I know now to this day, this happened uh, 20, this is 20, 22 years ago. But in there, in that place where I got that the elbow pain was bigger than just releasing, you know, large intestine points around the joint. Instead of referring her, which is what I would often have done, I started to look into the medicine itself for tools that we could bring to bear when the emotional issues came up. And that was how I started writing Five Spirits. Because at the same time that that happened, I did start studying Western psychology because it was a passion for me but it wasn't that, oh, now I'm going to leave Chinese medicine and become a psychotherapist. It's how do we go deep into our own medicine and discover how the ancient Chinese were actually already touching the soul levels, touching the spirit. In my training, yes, I call on depth psychology. We learn techniques. Um, there's a technique called focusing that I then began to shift towards our purposes and we call it inner sensing work, somatic work. You know, so I call on some tools that come from Western psychology understanding, but always bringing it back to how does this live in our medicine? You know, the ancient Chinese were looking at dreams way before Freud ever thought that a dream might be meaningful. You know, the dream work is intrinsic to our work. So how can we do that safely, skillfully in our practices? That's what my work's all. That's my contribution, you know? And um, so people people are like, hey, wait a minute, maybe I am interested in that. They can definitely come on over to a new possibility. That's our platform. And you'll start, the dialogue is alive and well and kicking. And we've got lots of practitioners 
who are engaged in this very conversation, you know, how do I bring my Qigong in to touch the soul? How do we use flower essences? How do we use essential oils and not leave Chinese medicine, but augment it, augment what's already there so that we can touch what I believe is the true suffering of people on the planet right now, this soul suffering, this loss of connection to that ephemeral part of what makes us human, you know, what allows us in the midst of the madness to notice the monarch butterfly, to notice the pine pollen, to see the movement here, you're in winter, you know, the movement of the ice, to really come back. To me, this is consciousness shifting. This is the base, the most foundational invitation of the medicine to watch how chi moves. I always say in carbon-based life on our planet Earth, but also through the stars, through the cosmos. I think that's what the big invitation is. And it's, I mean, such beautiful words. So much poetry. So much poetry. And (laughs) and as acupuncturists and as Chinese medicine practitioners, we're so acutely aware of the ways in which Qi moves and influences things around us and the yin and yang and, you know, the way that our minds work to categorize so many things that we come, you know, that come across our paths on a daily basis. And and when we're working with patients, even if even if we're not necessarily completely in tune with the Tao on a particular day, you know, we may be in clinic and having... Yeah, we're not a, always in tune with no, the Tao. Well, we're, sure. we're so... Sometimes it feels like we're, we're so frequently... We're all fragile, human. messed up <laughs> humans, absolutely. Yeah, and, and I'm thinking about, you know, I'm reflecting on... This one particular patient I had early on in my practice, and she had some problems with her neck and shoulders, and she she had some problems with her digestion and some problems with her sleep. And we worked together over a period of a year or so. She'd come and see me, you know, sometimes it would be weekly or fortnightly, and other times I wouldn't see her for a month or two, um, just depending on how her symptoms were and what else was happening in her life. And and the treatments were very much focused on her physiological complaints and, you know, complaints around energy and just general stress. One of the things that happened, and this this really opened things up for me, one of the things that happened was that she transformed from these treatments. And it wasn't necessarily an intention of mine, but you know she was a she was a woman who i think she was 50 in her early 50s and she fell in love for the very first time in her life and it was just the most beautiful thing and she had all of her friends at, at various stages over the next few years came to see me and just said whatever you have done with our friend thank you so much and can i please have a little bit of magic for myself if there is any for me to receive you know that was and it really, it really got me because I thought, well, even if, even if I'm not trying, there's an effect that's happening yes. here. And so it's, it's almost like for the people who may be feeling a little bit hesitant 
about doing this work, it's almost, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be happening anyway. We can't stop yes, it. Yes, I love that, Claire. I love that. Yes, exactly. It is happening the moment that you insert that needle in a point. The person's life force is moving and change is precipitated. So I love what you're saying that, yes, in a certain way, you can, we can trust the needle. We can trust the medicine and we can trust our patient's intrinsic inner. Well, there's a word entelechy, like that the patient entelechy means that their wholeness, their completion is already in them. Like the acorn is all, the oak is already in the acorn and our patient's wholeness, their Tao is already, we don't put it there. All we are doing is inviting them to step into it, noticing what may be in the way, clearing those blocks. And as you say, if we are following the principles of the medicine, this is going to be happening, even if we're not mm, consciously setting an intention for it, even if we're just doing our humble work of tending to a person's suffering. The, I guess, the caveat that I would bring to that is that my experience is that it can be so much more fun. And so much more, you know, I've been doing this 40 years. So like 40 years. And I know, Claire, you've been doing it like 20, over 20, right? Almost, almost 20. Yeah, almost 20. 17 or so 18. Like, you know, we're long haulers. Like, you don't become an acupuncturist for like, oh, yeah, it's a lark. I'll do it for a year or two. No, you know, and the, and the, the beauty of it is that the longer you do it, the older you get, the more luminosity comes. That's so true. So that is the one caveat, as I would say, even though it does and it will happen as long as you, we stay humble, we stay close to the principles of the medicine, you know, we remember how chi flows through the, you know, through the elements, through the extras, through the, you know, assorted point trajectories and we're working with it, it's going to happen. But bringing consciousness to bear on this transformational process and actually learning tools to uh, maybe tip the scales a bit more in the direction of transformational change, or at least for me, and I think for the people that work with me, it's you get a lot of chi back. Like as a practitioner, this increases longevity <laughs> because every time that happens, chi gets liberated, not just for our patients, but, but for us as practitioners. It's exciting. So the, and the work of supporting consciousness shifts with a bit more intention is, is very um, enlivening and gratifying. So that's the only piece I would add. I agree with you. I think that, you know, when we, when we're offering words of comfort or words to assist our patients to reflect on, on their disease or illness process or, you know, whatever process is going on for them, 
when we say these things out loud, our body hears it too. And, you know, as we're, we're working with our patients and we're, we're witnessing their journey, it changes us. There's no possibility, but for us to change and grow and develop in the process as well. And that is practice as self-cultivation, which it is. And that is how we become the medicine. Yeah. And this idea of consciousness as medicine, you know, it's like who who is the medicine for and where does the medicine come from? That's right, Claire. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's just as much for us in so many ways. And I would go further, and I, I did want to get to this to say, yes, it's for the patient, and it's certainly for us if we're going to stay in the medicine over decades to to let that um, liberation of consciousness and chi be part of the work. But what I feel is that the place we are at as a species on the planet, and that's my bigger view. You know, at this stage in my life, I, I work with a lot of individuals, but I work with a lot of practitioners with supervising training. And my view is that we need to get this consciousness shifting out into the world. That that if we were to say, what is the planet asking of us now? You know, what is Gaia, our planet, and what is consciousness itself asking for? I feel like there's this pushing for change, for for some kind of evolution that will move us beyond the limits of materialism, um, dualism, uh, the primacy of, say, growth and patriarchal ideas, and allow us a real revisioning of our way of being in reality. And that is a profound shift of consciousness that I feel goes beyond healing in the treatment room to healing in community, healing in on a planetary level. Many years ago, I did a workshop with an environmentalist. Many people may know her work, Joanna Macy. She's been at the forefront of eco-psychology work for decades. And at the workshop, she said, you know, um, we need political activists and we need people who are willing to go, you know, go to the centers of power and bang their heads against the walls and, you know, try and make good arguments and good debates and go to demonstrations and all of that and do legislation. But none of that will succeed without a shift in consciousness at the level of human awareness because i had come from a decade of being a pretty pretty radical pretty engaged political activist in my 20s and a lot of banging my head against walls and you know i i stepped back from that for health reasons i was really developing some health issues, I was overexhausted and I wasn't feeling particularly effective. 
And when I discovered Chinese medicine, it it not only changed my physical life and my headaches left and all of that, but it opened me to a different attitude towards change. Like, how does change really happen? And when I heard Joanna Macy say that, that just as important as the outer activism is this inner process of shifting our awareness states. It's so true. It's so true. You know, as, as you say that, I'm reflecting on this idea of having an effect on one person. We can just help and facilitate one person to heal and that shifts their vibration, that shifts their story, it shifts all of the ways in which they're going to interact with all the people in their lives. And we multiply that by the hundreds and the thousands of people that we work with over the years and over the decades. And we can see that we can we can have a really profound effect on the way that the world is and the way that society is. And these micro shifts that happen within people as their energy shifts better and they're going to see things differently. And we can really facilitate some profound change from within our clinics. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. And, you know, I would say that one of the primary first shifts begins when a patient stops seeing the body as a problem. Like, oh, this my body's a problem. I keep having this thing happen. You know, I keep, I don't know, whatever my, I keep getting this running piglet syndrome and I feel my digestion. So it's a problem and let's fix it. If we can shift that attitude to an attitude of caring about what the body is actually trying to communicate, recognizing the yin structures of embodiment. And I would, from a five spirits perspective, we're talking about the posal, the autonomic responses. If we can begin to relate to those responses with care, curiosity, commitment, committed interest, that is a profound shift in consciousness that then can extend outward to the body as as a kind of a yin repository of the spirit out to the whole natural world, which is what the Taoists were saying to us, that the natural world is not just stuff, matter that we use for our economic betterment, but the natural world is actually the place where we can know the Tao, the unknowable Tao, the divine that we cannot know out there as a concept. We can know it. We, that's what we're touching with the needle. And that relationship with ourselves as an expression and an interaction with the Tao, such an incredible gift that we can offer to our patients. And, you know, it can be such a challenge for them to get there. It's not like we just put in one needle and then next week they're, you know, accepting of their body and accepting of their their health conditions. It's quite, you know, like it's it's quite a process for people to get to that point if if they're able to get to that point 
if, you know, if it's within their capacity to do that. When I was a younger practitioner, I would often try to be malleable in my approach and I would, I would go, I think sometimes a little bit too gently with those who were, nope, I'm just here for my sore neck or, you know, other people who wanted to dive right in, I was right there with them. But if people were spiky and if they were putting up those barriers, I was very much taking that as a very strong no thank you. Yeah. And but over time I've I've changed my thinking on this and I decided to just be me and just be authentically me and whatever felt natural that would come up within the course of the consult and within the course of the treatment, I would just go there because I felt like, well, there's hundreds of other practitioners in my area and they could have chosen any one of those other practitioners, but but life brought them to me. Yes. And life brought them to me now, not me in five years' time and not me five years ago, but they're here in my clinic now. And so they get me as I am now because if there's divine intervention involved in this, then let that come through. And I unreservedly, I challenge the people that come into my clinic. If they're not ready for it, well, maybe they might be. Maybe that's just my story and I might be inaccurately assessing what they're, what they're up for. And what they're indeed up for. So true. And so many people rise to the challenge. I can have a 68-year-old man sitting in my clinic and he's got pain in his hands. And I'm like, well, let's talk about your work. Like, what are you doing? That's what your hands are for. And then I've, you know, I might not have ever gone there five or 10 years ago thinking, oh, well, he's a 68-year-old man and he might not be into this. And he was probably so grateful. Indeed. Indeed. It is amazing, Claire. And I think actually it's increasing. It's, I, I was invited to give a talk, Benjamin and I, because Benjamin supported me. He was kind of co-author of our book, The Alchemy of Inner Work, um, because it grew out of a lot of our work together. And we spend half of the year, we're up in this little tiny, tiny town, actually, I'm speaking to you from there now, on the coast of Maine, which is way up in the country and on the Northeast coast. And we have a little tiny library in our village. And, but it's a very bustling library. And the head of the library wrote to us and said, would you be willing to give a book talk on the alchemy of inner work at the library? And one of my rule of thumb is if someone asks me to talk, I say yes. I don't particularly go looking for it, but if someone asks me, I say yes. So I'm like, okay, I guess we're doing this thing. And I was like, you know, maybe two or three people are going to come. People who like us in the neighborhood will come. Anyway, it was like 40 people came from all over towns far away that had seen the announcement. And people were like, this is so exciting. This idea of um, it was about how do we, what tools can we use to find resilience in the midst of the challenging times we're living in? And there were all kinds of people there. And by the end of the talk, I had 40 people in Down East Maine, which is like I said, really rural Down East Maine, sitting and doing a heart meditation in front of our library in the middle of the town. 
little village. And everyone was like, this is so peaceful and beautiful. And I love this so much. And one woman said, I feel like this was a way that I'm learning that I can actually reconnect with my own soul. That's a lot. So I do believe, you know, given what's happening on the planet right now, the uncertainties about the environment, you know, breakdowns in our, even in religious institutions, our assumptions about politics, that there is a kind of rising up and emergence of awareness that something needs to shift in how we are being together. And that is the, what I say is kind of the edge of growth, not just for one person or not just for you and me, Claire, but a kind of edge of growth of consciousness itself. Human consciousness itself is, it's almost like it itself needs an acupuncture. It's reached an endpoint, an impasse. You know, rational, dualistic materialism was great when it started, you know, in 1500, you know, 500 years ago. Like it got us a lot of good stuff, but it has run its course. It's barely functional. As, as a way of resolving the problems we're facing right now, the problems of healthcare, the problems of the environment, the problems of community discourse. How do we deal with COVID? How do we deal with, you know, the violence? There's so many issues that need to go beyond a one-way causal dualistic view. And I do believe that turning to the wisdom of the I Ching, of classical Chinese medicine, of Taoist alchemy, this left us amazing clues about how we can actually move into what is formative. How can we be present to each other and the world in the way I think often of those first sages who were you know, deeply engaged in their own inner work and then would open their eyes and actually see the meridians. They could see the chief flow. You know, when we say, how did they know where I went? How did they know where bladder one was? It's like bladder one, there it is. It's right there waiting to be open so that the eye can be brilliant, so that the shen can shine. You know, and and so we want, for me, it's like part of the medicine and part of becoming the medicine is opening again to that level of awareness, to that kind of consciousness that's already there. It's just waiting for us to, to step into it and share it and create culture where this is a given, where this is becomes a conversation like we're having tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a great conversation. And I'm imagining that there's some people listening thinking, wow, I just, I really want to know how does this play out for you in clinic? Yeah. What does it look like when someone comes in with, let's use the example of headaches or neck pain or digestive issues? Where do you start? How do you, how do you look for those 
those entrances, those doorways with your patients? Well, what I'd love to do is leave people with a little something, um, with the understanding that, you know, even with the year-long training program, like we're six months in, and now six months in, people are reporting, oh, I just did, you know, there was a tornado in uh, one of the participants in her town. And after the tornado, a mother and her two little girls came in and they had, um, their car had been hit by a tree and they were in the middle of the wind and they were in big trauma. And she said, you know, I just did the trauma treatment that I actually share in the alchemy of inner work which is not needles, but using flower essences and essential oils on directly on points. And she said, well, as soon as I put the bergamot essential oil on ear Shen men, she could feel the Shen spirit settling. And so again, like just having very basic understanding of how to use flower essences and essential oils as tools in this work. And that is all in the alchemy of inner work. People can pick that book up. That book is a handbook. It's a, it's a guidebook. And I wrote it for people who can't directly work with me because not everyone can, but it's in there. But to your question, so I, what I would say is these practitioners who've been at it studying with us for about six months, they're all, it's happening in their treatment room. They're all writing and saying, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. It's happening. I get it. It's sort of just all of a sudden, I know I should do this practice or touch this spirit point. And that, so it, it, it's not an overnight thing, but what I would say for people who are listening and say, well, how would I even begin? This patient, Claire, that you're bringing in to our treatment room here, who's coming in and saying, oh, I just have these horrible headaches and all I want is for them to go away. Fix it. What can you do? Yeah, I've seen everybody. I've gone to the doctor, the neurologist, the da da da. Somebody said I should try acupuncture. So I'm here. <laughs> like you said on your website, I work with the problems that no one else can fix, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're the last, we're the last stop on the on the right. We're the last stop on the train, right? Yeah. So the first thing, of course, is you're gonna do your your intake. I do a regular intake. I get the history, you know, the location. I'm thinking what meridians, like what elements, and I'm gonna do all that, just like anyone. But then what I do, like what I would do and what I would suggest if you, if you're called, if you're like, okay, I'm game, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give it a try is after you've done that intake, then what I would, I do is I lean back and I say, okay, I'm taking all that in. And while I'm leaning back, I'm dropping my data accumulating intellectual headspace, and I'm inviting it down to my heart space. I'm saying, okay, we got that. I think I've done a good history here. And now let me drop down to the heart. The heart is also the entire time that we're doing the intake. The heart is assessing 
is taking in information. Our hearts are analyzing the data too. So I'm going to drop down into my heart space. I'm going to breathe in and I'm going to say to the patient, you know, let's just take a moment here. And I'm going to invite you after all of this to, to come down into where you feel your heart to be. And I'm going to do the same. And I'm just going to take a moment and invite you to see, is there anything else, anything else about this symptom that you haven't shared with me yet? Anything that comes to you maybe from the past that might be relevant. And I'm going to just sit really quietly. I'm going to dare to take some time before we jump to the table and invite the person to have a breath. There's a lot of other tools I use there, Claire, that I'm not going to open up here because we don't have time, but I will, I will share one tool that I work with, which is called the body felt sense. And the body felt sense is actually going down to the heart, but even deeper down into the sort of the core and saying, okay, the body knows more than I do. So I'm going to invite the patient right there to say, you know, when you think about these headaches, when we bring this problem of the headaches into the room here, what do you feel in your body? What arises? Where do you feel it? Not just in your head, but is there an emotion? Is there a memory? When did they start? What was going on there? And what I'm trying to do through this other conversation, a kind of alternative history that is guided by the body felt sense, is get at what I call the prima materia, the symptom under the symptom, the story under the story. And I'm going to take a little time with that and just see where it goes. It could be really, really simple. It could be something like the person says, well, I can't really remember when the headaches start, but I will tell you this, every time I get one, I am aware that I've been mad or frustrated before they started. And they come up like all along here, the side of my head, you know? And so in that way, we're getting at the story under the story, which is going to guide me in how I approach the headache. And then that's going to lead me to a spirit point. Like I might say, okay, wow, you're saying that there's anger here. You're saying that you often feel so frustrated that you start sobbing. These are all, this might lead me to a gallbladder point, head above tears, you know, and then I'm going to share, oh, you know, there's this point that really has your name on it. We're in it then. We're in a different terrain, even though I might do exactly the same physical level treatment that I would have done in the first place without this little segue, the treatment is changed. Well, you've got that, that dual shift of the patient saying out loud and being aware and you witnessing them saying it. 
And then also you're placing context onto the point that you're using. Yes. It's so great. There's so many. And so they're enrolled. They're enrolled in the game that I want to play. (laughs) And of course, like you said, there are some people who don't enroll. They're not, it's not their thing. And you know, what's wonderful is that they might come a few times and maybe the pain will get a little better. And they say, I'm better now. And they move on or they say, you know what? I'm not really interested in looking at this larger picture. I really just want to come every two weeks and have, you know, the pain comes back. I'd like you to treat me every two weeks. And we might possibly agree to do that. Or we might also say, you know, certainly at this stage in my life, I will say, you know, at this stage in my life, it's really not worth your time or my time or the money, you know, that I'm charging you for you to work with me this way. I would like to support you. And I know so many great, great practitioners who would be really happy to see you every two weeks and just do some points to alleviate the pain and let it be that. So, you know, I think that's what for me, because I of the my clarity and because of the limitations of my time, it would be better for me to refer a person after a certain number of sessions if I if that's really what they want. Because it's just not what I'm that good at. What I'm really good at is this other thing. And that's what brings you joy and that's where your heart is. Exactly. And it's so important exactly. for us to, to be in love with our work and to... Exactly. And I know, and I actually, when I have a pretty purely physical symptom, like, okay, I'm pretty sure that this is, you know, this pain in my toe is because I went hiking up the mountain wearing these funky shoes. And, you know, I'm going to, I need some work on this toe of mine that acts up every so often. And I'm going to go. And I know people who do incredible work on clearing heat, you know, I'm working on acute symptomatology and they love doing it. And then they're so good at it. And I'm so grateful that they do it. And I'm so grateful that when I come in with that kind of pain, that that's what we work on. And it gets better really quickly. That's a magic thing. You know, maybe you bleed spleen one and do a little moxa and I'm good to go. One session. I don't need to do a whole deep investigation into how my earth was not relating to the nurturance that I missed. And so I pushed myself too hard sometimes instead of wearing the right shoe. Yeah, and ignoring your body saying, please stop, this is really hurting. No, no, there are times when that, when we just want to bleed the, bleed the point, do some moxa, slap on a patch. <laughs> and that's also beautiful medicine, incredible medicine. It is indeed. All the ways. All the ways, the whole gamut. You know, people say, oh, Chinese medicine, isn't that just working on, say, back pain? (laughs) Or, wow, you have so many books. Like, what is this? And I'm like, Chinese medicine is a 5,000-year-old system of healing that has gone on uninterrupted for all these years. Are we surprised that there are many different branches 
and styles and specialties and incredible gifts that this medicine can bring. It's simply that the area, like you said, we need to discover what gives me joy. Is it obstetrics? Is it fertility? Is it orthopedics? And for me, it's working at this psycho-emotional soul level. And so that has been for the past 30 years or more, um, my passion, my dedication. And I'm so deeply gratified by the fact that people respond to it and there are practitioners who are hungry for it. And, you know, that's, that's the work that I want to do for the rest of my multiple lifetimes. (laughs) Wow. You're such a treasure and such a gift to the world of Chinese medicine. Thank you so much for all that you do and for your books and for the efforts that you put into teaching and mentorship It's so appreciated. And thank you for being with us today on the podcast. It's been so great to to share this conversation with with everyone. I hope that everyone gets as much out of it as I have. And and I love, I was so happy to receive your invitation and this Heavenly Chi podcast. It's such a wonderful, you know, it feels like just like what we need now. More Heavenly Chi. More Heavenly Chi. More heavenly chi. And I do just want to say one more time, if people, you know, like you said, these are just little tantalizing bits, but people are welcome to contact me and find me and find community engaged in all of these conversations at, you know, ongoing at anewpossibility.com. That's our our website and our platform. Yeah. And we'll put the links to, uh, to your website and to your books. And uh, uh, we'll put all of that into the show notes so people can easily find you if they want to seek that out. Sounds like a great place to be. If it calls, if it touches. And Claire, I will stay in touch and I'll be following your beautiful work as well. I love that we've connected. We have now a, a line of spirit extended from down East Maine to Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, Australia. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So, so the great. web continues to weave. It does. It does. And I look forward to um, to connecting with you again in the future. We'll have you back again soon. Likewise, Claire. Likewise. Very much so. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners, as always, for tuning in and for showing your support for us and for what we do it's uh, you're very appreciated as well and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode bye for now